Hello and welcome to Kane and Rent Sound of Play 69. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
Wednesday and Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, for Sound of Play, episode number 69, is Sean Bell. Hello. Hello. Sean, mm-hmm. you are bringing us a, a, a swinging Katamari track. Do you want to <laughs> tell us a little bit about the background of that one? I mean, if it was up to me, I think I would. I think every show, television, podcast, whatever, would start mm-hmm. with that song. <laughs> um, no, I just I remember. Um, I never, cause I never played the original uh, Katamari Damacy because that never came. Wait, well, it came to hmm. America, didn't it? But it never came to Europe. Um, yeah, yeah. So for a lot of us, uh, We Love Katamari was the first uh, Katamari game that we saw or like we're you know particularly aware of was that a psp entry no this was the the second ps2 one oh okay. so uh Kate takahashi was still on board at this point it's always interested me because like to me it was like this incredibly fresh and new thing and yet to anyone mm-hmm. who played the original it was like oh it's just like a rehash it's not it's not as good it's like you know the mm-hmm. magic's been lost but yeah oh my god <laughs> like when i just first saw this intro sequence like like it, it came you know 2005 this came out and Mm-hmm. felt like a time when like there wasn't a, like an undercurrent of interesting stuff happening on the ps2 but you really had to find it and it felt mm. like everything was really dominated by you know world war ii games need for speed stuff like that mm. yeah so to just find something like this and put it in and hear that music and see the intro was just like oh this is something else this is <laughs> that's right the uh the youtube link that you've linked to mm-hmm. uh comes with the the video that yeah. we play on the console, which uh, is a real treat. Yeah. I, I'd definitely recommend people looking that up, but mm-hmm. it's kind of the standard, uh, like what we've come to expect from Katamari cutscenes mm-hmm. these days. But uh, yeah, just absolutely like that wild, weird Japanese sense of humor, mm-hmm. which um, kind of pervades the entire series, but love that kind of thing. Yeah, it just um, it was just a real shock to the system. I think when you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again, just this, like such a clear statement of like, even mm. though it, it in no way relates to you know what you do in the game or anything, it's somehow mm. works as like a perfect statement of the, the attitude that you're going to be <laughs> dealing with. Like you know, the, just the way the whole game is put together, it, it's sort of really nicely yeah, personified, yeah. and just how ludicrous this opening song is. So uh, yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, certainly, and. Since then, at least in the West, uh, the PS2 has kind of become classic over time for having mm-hmm. such like havens of uh, budget title inventiveness and mm-hmm. Japanese weirdness. And I'm sure the uh, um, Japanese audiences were well aware of this as it was happening. But I feel like it was kind of like in the time since the PS2 that people really started like discovering a mm-hmm. lot of these weird games that they might have like passed up otherwise. Yeah. And now it's kind of like an honorary second Dreamcast in a way. Yeah. Um, and like, then the fact that this was uh, in, in Europe at least was released by electronic mm-hmm. arts. They, they published it here <laughs> for some reason. Um, huh. I think, I, I don't know. Like, I think they must've like, it's, it's really interesting because the, the box art in the UK was like, it's like really minimalist. It's just this like crayon mm-hmm. drawing. Um, and there's mm. like no, um, like I think it has the name of the game on it, but like, there's no logos on it or anything. Like there's no mm. EA logo on it. Um, I don't know. I think that maybe they just sort of figured out that it had like a cult following, and they could make a few quid yeah. if they, you know, <laughs> produced two hundred copies and just put them out, and <laughs> um, that was that. But yeah, it just, it just a, like obviously it's become quite a long running series, but at the time it felt like a real curio, you know. I started on Beautiful Katamari on the Xbox three hundred and sixty. Mm-hmm. That was the first one. My roommate had that back in my freshman year of college, mm-hmm. and um, and since then the only one that I've well, no, that's not true. Um, 
the first one that I actually owned was Katamari Forever on the PS3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think is still the most recent one, mm-hmm. unless you count like the iOS side scroller yeah, one, yeah, yeah, which yeah. nobody really probably not does. <laughs> um, it was interesting because I, I played that one to death. Absolutely mm-hmm. loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back on the uh, PSN. They were having a sale on the uh, the PS2 version of oh, yeah. Katamari Damacy. I think for the PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah downloaded that just to see kind of how much the uh, series has changed. Because one mm-hmm. of the things that I really like to do, like I jumped into the uh, Lego series quite late as well. So mm-hmm. I was really interested in kind of like going backwards through that series and seeing like, you know, where it started and how they built things up and mm-hmm. um, the the gradual changes in the mechanics over time. Um, but I was surprised to find that the original Katamari was almost exactly the same as like the Katamari <laughs> that I had been yeah. Uh, comfortable and familiar with which you know a lot of people might chalk up to them being not terribly inventive as Mm -hmm. the series went forward not introducing a lot of new ideas and Mm -hmm. stuff Uh, a few kind of like little graphical improvements here and there but or you know on the flip side like maybe they just got it right and didn't really need (laughs) to introduce anything else and i think this is a series that benefits from not having a lot of gradual bloat introduced to it over time yeah yeah, sure. We get a little bit of that with the uh, the Vita entry, I believe, lets you kind of like uh, stretch and smush your Katamari, Katamari mm-hmm. ball to fit in uh, weird shaped crevices and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think it's always just been at its best when it was um, just the simplest form of Katamari rolling around using those weird uh, Star Wars Episode One racer controls. And <laughs> just something about that. It's really special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We will be hearing a little bit more from the Katamari Damacy Extended Universe a little bit later (laughs) in the show to close this one out. But until then, let's talk about another game that EA published that uh, doesn't feel like something (laughs) that EA would publish. Well, this was was when EA had an interesting phase of putting out new Mm. and interesting things, wasn't it? Because it was around this... Was it... Yeah, so this was 2009, and then it was mm-hmm. sort of then in sort of 2008, it was you had things like, you know, Mirror's Edge and stuff, and like Battlefield Bad yeah, Company, yeah. which is still, still a game about shooting people, but it had this whole weird sort of sense of humor and stuff. And um, hmm. and then didn't EA then lose a ton of money and go back to playing it safe for another <laughs> five years? <laughs> <laughs> for another kind of up until today, even. Yeah. <laughs> I believe this game... Ooh, and I should have done my research. I <laughs> should know this off the top of my head, and I've done the research long ago, but um, I think this one was kind of batted around a, a few different publishers. I believe Activision Started with dropped Activision. it at some point. Yeah, Activision yeah. dropped it, but then when EA picked it up, Activision tried to sue EA. Is that right? And I'm, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I remember this because there was a great quote from Tim Schafer just saying like, mm-hmm. look, everyone stop, you know, stop shouting at Activision for, you know, just trying to sue EA out of the blue. You know, it's like a monkey throwing poo around. It's just how the beast communicates. <laughs> uh, yes, Tim Schafer, of course, we're talking about Brutal Legend. Mm-hmm. Quite famously, you, Sean, on the uh, Midnight Resistance panel are easily the biggest metalhead on the panel. So <laughs> I thought, what what better guest to have to talk about some Brutal Legend mm-hmm. uh, than you? But um, this is, uh, these actually two tracks here, uh, kind of two tracks put back to back are not necessarily traditional metal that you would think of Mm -hmm. when you're uh when you're thinking about the brutal legend soundtrack and a couple issues back back on uh sound of play 67 uh carl moon and i were talking about 
uh, we got off on this um, tangent when we were introducing another of Peter McConnell's tracks. You know, we were just admiring the incidental mm-hmm. uh, composition mm-hmm. that goes into Brutal Legend and some of the original soundtrack, which I believe there's a, it's fairly minimal when you're just kind of walking around the, the game overworld, but uh, there are nice little kind of riffs and musical cues that play when you find like points of interest in the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. they're a little uh, like those those mounted binocular things that you see in like touristy areas <laughs> uh, they have those kind of planted throughout the world and uh, and you approach them and it gives you like a nice uh, flyover of these just really cool environmental artifacts that are in this um huge kind of metal infested world and uh, and then it plays these really kind of like slow acoustic guitar sounding mournful dark tracks that uh really set a a nice tone um for what this this world is without evoking necessarily like the uh, high octane metal that we kind of come to expect of it they made such a fuss about you know all the license mm-hmm. stuff that yeah it, yeah it almost seems kind of unfair because i mean pete mcconnell's a phenomenal composer like yeah. when you um you know, like everyone knows that all of Tim Schafer's stuff has had good music. And then when you find out it's pretty much all one guy, it's like, <laughs> you know, everything from Grim, yeah. Grim Fandango, Monkey Island, all the way through to Broken Age and, and this. And um, like the the way he turns his hand to so many different styles. And yeah, he's, he's amazing. These particular tracks, these are called Raptors Veld and Spirit of Bladehenge. They remind me of metal album intro tracks in a way. Yeah. How oftentimes metal albums, before they get into the real kind of like kick-ass guitar stuff, they'll have something just kind of slower that just mm. sets the mood. Sometimes narrated by Christopher Lee, but uh, <laughs> oftentimes like they're just like these cool instrumental pieces. I, I love, I think the track is called Zebir from uh, from Demi Borgir's Abrahadabra albums. Mm-hmm. Just this like really cool kind of like orchestral piece that just kind of puts you in the right headspace mm-hmm. more than anything to start listening to the um, more rambunctious rest of the <laughs> metal album. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what these remind me of, but um, yeah, they're just really wonderful uh, kind of tone pieces mm. for this, this crazy twisted world. This is Raptors Veld and the Spirit of Bladehenge by Peter McConnell from Brutal Legend, which you can hear all about in Canon Rinse issue 146.
need to give that a listen. I mean, that's it, it's a game that I I mean I tried to play it back in the day, and then there was a bit where you have to defend mm-hmm. like a a bus or a truck or something, and mm, yeah, I yeah. struggled with it a bit, and then just sort of fell away from it and never went back. And I I need to rectify that because I gather you know if you can get your head around the the slightly naff strategy stuff, it's really good. Yeah, I'm interested in the like. It seems like the strategy stuff does have an interesting meta game in there. Yeah, and I've seen. Um, a couple videos of people who kind of know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, go into that game and, and um, you know, pose some pretty interesting looking matches yeah. against one another. And I know that Tim Schafer still likes to hop on every Rocktober 13th yes. to uh, challenge just random people <laughs> on the various platforms, which is, I think, pretty cool of him. So, yes, yeah, nice little tradition. That, yeah. But again, like, even though, like, I'm sure there's something in there, I have such mixed feelings about the brutal legend game like more than almost any other game um it's just really hard for me to uh, to fully get into and to Mm -hmm. think that like it could have been like if they just stuck with the uh kind of action game that it was built up to be in the demo at least then uh you know it could have been a you know god of war devil may cry type of uh Mm -hmm. hit and everybody would have really loved that but i i do appreciate that they kind of like branched out there went for something different tried something even if it wasn't entirely successful Anyways, we have a request from the forum for our next track here. This comes from Mumra1983, who says, I would like to suggest the opening theme for the NES game Solstice. My mum had bought this in the early 90s, and though I found the gameplay itself to be quite difficult, the music was great and is what I remember most when I think of it. The opening starts off like any generic 8-bit tune, but after a few seconds, it completely changes. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a, that's a bit of an understatement. You know, every once in a while, um, I mean, I always, I'm really happy to get requests all the time. And I think that our community um, has wonderful taste in their tracks and always surprises me with, uh, with the kind of quality of music that I've completely overlooked over the years. But mm-hmm. every once in a while, you can kind of tell like, when somebody really likes the song for the song and when they like it because it's associated with good memories and maybe the song's just like a little, you know, not like as fully featured as other music. Yeah. Not to be dismissive of their choices. (laughs) But when I clicked on this for the first time, it starts off very kind of minimal and like super generic for the first few seconds. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this isn't a great rip of this NES song to begin (laughs) with. And it's kind of like very basic. And I'm sure he, again, he says that he played this when he was a child. So this song probably um, played every time he booted up the system for Mm -hmm. his his favorite game. And it's probably kind of worked his way into his his heart slowly over time. Because I definitely have songs like that. Um, The first level theme from the Godzilla Game Boy game is like <laughs> terrible carnival music, but I, I love it. And, uh, just because like the place that it's occupied my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I thought going into this one, but yeah, like he says, a few seconds in, it really kicks off and I was super surprised, super impressed. And I kind of think that Tim Fallon did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it goes like super prog, doesn't it? Out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> And it really kind of fills out the stereo space and Mm -hmm. introduces many more layers than I'm really um, expecting to hear in an NES composition. Like it's it's kind of, it doesn't sound like an NES song almost. And this might have been a Famicom. I'm not sure. Well, it says NES here. So it must have been somehow 
they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, the NES has four channels, I think. Um, so it's got four synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this definitely sounds like it has more than that. Sounds like it's um, <laughs> more than four. <laughs> um, but also, it's, there's, there's just loads of really interesting sort of timing things as well. Like, I think it is yeah. just in 4-4 throughout. Um, but it's just loads of really sort of interesting emphases and half beats and, and stuff. It's just, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really happy that uh, Mumra 1983 brought this to our attention because this is a really, <laughs> it's a really kick-ass song and I'm happy that we're able to feature it. Mm-hmm. So this is the title theme composed by Tim Fallon for Solstice on the NES. Sean, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about your uh, metal credentialing earlier, <laughs> and uh, that was a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'm realizing now that you did bring us like an actual <laughs> metal song. So <laughs> so this is this is Metal Squad from uh, Thunder Force 4, which I've never played. <laughs> I've never actually uh-huh. played this game. I know it. <laughs> um, I just, I 
find this song really interesting. I mean, the, the whole soundtrack is is pretty incredible. I know Leon's mm-hmm. featured a song from it before. So this this is a classic. Uh, we don't know quite who composed it. There's three names um, attached to the soundtrack. Uh, I've got uh, Toshiharu Yamanishi, Takeshi Yoshida, and Tomomi Otani. Um, not sure who did this song in particular. I, I just find it really interesting because I, I hate the way the Mega Drive sounds, generally speaking. This is a <laughs> Mega Drive stroke Genesis game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know, something about, there's something really bubbly about the synth and it makes <laughs> me feel, I don't know, it's like, it makes me feel a bit ill. Um, but, <laughs> but this, again, you know, you were saying about the, the previous song, this just doesn't sound like it was done on a... A Mega Drive at all the the way he's got the the distortion on the the guitar and mm-hmm. stuff is just really interesting, um, and there's just so much expression to it. Like you know, there's like tapping solos and pitch bends and stuff, and often mm-hmm. things like you know, sort of trying to do guitar solos with like a you know a step sequencer it just comes across sounding really um, you know machine like and really sort of sterile and weird. Yeah. Whereas this this is pretty convincing, um, and it's just yeah, it's just an absolute banger. I love it. As for the sound of the track, like it's a really, really crunchy one as well. It almost mm-hmm. sounds like it's breaking the speakers as it's playing, but yeah, I think exactly, that kind of yeah. works to its favor with the uh, kind of aggression of the composition to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's listen to Metal Squad from Thunder Force 4. track here is called Impact of Silence, composed by Trash80 for Darwinia. 
Uh, Darwinia is not a game that I have an extensive history with. Um, I have a really weird history with this one, actually. I worked for a little bit back in high school as a, um, like a QA tester over at Microsoft, uh, Mm -hmm. Microsoft Game Studios up in Redmond, because it's, um, it was very close to where I lived. And actually it's uh, probably right across the street from where I work now. I don't remember which building I was in, (laughs) but I'm, I found my way back up to Redmond somehow. But yeah, I, I just played like a little half hour bit of Darwinia mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, Xbox 360 they were testing at the oh, time. Yeah, yeah. And since I've not been back to it, I don't really know what to make of the game, but it's kind of a weird little RTS-like game where yeah. you control these little stick figure folks. Do you know anything about, have you played Darwinia before? Or I played, Multi-Winia? yeah. So I played the original PC release, um, mm-hmm. which... In hindsight, was a, a dumb thing to do because, <laughs> like, <laughs> because you know, uh, introversion. Obviously, they did um, uplink, and that did you know stupidly mm-hmm. well and everything. And Darwinia, in hindsight, you know, should have been like a downloadable title. But at the time, that framework mm-hmm. wasn't really there in the way it is now. So it got put on mm-hmm. shelves as a you know thirty-five pound boxed release. Wow. You know, it's a pretty good game but it's not worth 35 pounds. It's not, you know, it's not like a fully, certainly back then it wasn't like a fully fledged, hmm. um, you know, you weren't going to put like 40 hours into it. But um, so yeah, so for some reason I, I paid full whack for it and like kind of enjoyed it. Could you give like a better sense than I was able to of what it is moment to moment? It is, yeah, like it is a real-time strategy game, isn't it? But it's about, you sort of... Does it play like than, Pikmin? Because it kind of looks like that in a little way. In a sense, It's been a long time yeah, since my half hour um, played like <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I think like what was interesting about it was rather than like you know here's your base, here's the enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like you were making your way across a map. I think, mm-hmm. and you sort of you know gathering your troops, you're together kind of controlling and sort of, little populations of these yeah. uh, stick figure folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plot was something about this guy who'd made loads of these old computers that never sold, mm-hmm. and then found that by keeping them all in a warehouse together, they sort of became sentient and started networking oh, with each other. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so he was like this failed um, computer manufacturer, and then suddenly mm-hmm. he had this amazing like hive mind, um, and somehow that becomes an RTS with little stick figure men. Uh, this song, I, I guess, the whole soundtrack to this game was composed by Trash Eighty, who is a uh, fellow named Timothy Lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, who lives in San Diego, and he was uh, one of the you know, pioneers of um, what they call Game Boy music, which is yeah. creating actual music using either Game Boy um, Game Boys themselves, uh, which he did actually create a um, like he developed a, a, a fairly cheap tool that you can use to plug a Game Boy into like a synthesizer to. Um, use that in the same way that Anamanaguchi does mm-hmm. with NESs, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Hardware developer in that way and uh, creates loads of his own music, which most of it is uh, under uh, Creative Commons for free download. And so if you go over to his website over at trashad.com, there's loads of music there that are all free to download. And I listened to a couple tracks just kind of getting ready for the show. And it's really cool music. Like it's definitely worth a worth a look. If you're into that kind of Game Boy sound, of course, he embellishes it quite a bit, does a few things that wouldn't have been possible on the Game Boy, but it uh, certainly has that very distinctive tinny speaker sound to it, uh, which I I personally like. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but this track is not, it's not really the same thing. It, it doesn't have a Game Boy sound to it. This one is a piano composition for the most part with some kind of electronic elements later on. It's a very kind of slow um, and a mournful piece. And I, I just find it to be really kind of lovely and pleasant. Mm. So yeah, this is, uh, I don't really have that much more to say about it. I think it pretty much speaks for itself. But uh, do go and check out Trash 80 stuff over on his website because I think it's really interesting and cool. Um, but until then, this is Impact of Silence by Trash 80 from Darwinia. Ooh.
Was Darwinia a remake of an older game or was that an original concept? Because I, I thought I remember there being a little bit of history to it, like it was a revival, kind of like Goddess was recently. Of something um, well, older. there was, yeah, cause I think the original PC release, but there was, yeah, there's the original PC release and then there was Multiwinia and then, yeah, then the Xbox 360 version came quite mm. a lot later. Oh, okay. I so, see. yeah, so it sort of went through quite a few iterations, I think. Yeah. All right. Do we have another request from the forum here? This is from Andrew Brown, who says, For all the criticisms one could levy against the Wii U, I believe Nintendo's first-party titles for the platform have consistently had the best music of this console generation, and even part of the last. A nearly unbroken streak of incredible orchestrated soundtracks in Super Mario Galaxy. Their latest release, Paper Mario Color Splash, continues that tradition, even as all the indications are that it will be the Wii U's swan song of exclusivity. This track, Ready Road, credited to the three-person team of Takeru Kanazaki, Shigemitsu Goto, and Fumihiro Isobi, is the backing track to the first proper level after Mario rescues Port Prisma from a cadre of thirsty shy guys wielding bendy straws. A jaunty, upbeat tune that suits its happier, wackier home following the rather grim Port Prisma, a clarinet and violin alternated on the main tune before intertwining in the interlude, that lets both instruments be a star. The first three notes of the main tune recall Koji Kondo's legendary ground theme from Super Mario Bros, but wind away into fanciful flights, its equal parts jazz and bluegrass, sounding both improvised and rehearsed, free and structured. Yes, indeed, this is a really nice track. It's a really pleasant one. Um, Hmm. This is what I always refer to myself, and I've used this term probably way too much on sound of play because it probably doesn't actually mean anything to anybody else but i always refer to this kind of thing as like disneyland music yeah just because i'm always <laughs> you know whenever i'm walking through the park like there's always uh just kind of like pleasantly orchestrated versions of songs that i'm familiar with that are kind of like composed in such a way that it's like ambling music you know it's like music mm-hmm. made to like do a jaunty little walk to <laughs> like you would see in those early disney cartoons yeah like the, you know uh so andrew brown has mentioned obviously this sort of riffs on the uh ground mm-hmm. theme which will, what most people just call the mario brothers theme it must be so weird working on something like this and being like look there's basically a ton of stuff that already exists and you can just <laughs> you can just take bits of that and put it in whatever you're doing and people will love it because it's not ripping yeah. it off. It's just a, a nice <laughs> wink and a nod and a, yeah, you remember this, don't you? And it's it's cool. I like it. Just being able to take the old stuff that's so ingrained now um, mm. and just, you know, and just sort of play around with it. It's, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, certainly not to undercut the work that these composers have done. I think that even if it didn't have those one or two bars of that um, kind of recognizable Mario riff, like I think it still would be a really pleasant and wonderful track. But yeah, yeah, it it does enough to build on it. It's not just kind of riffing off of Koji Kondo's previous work. (laughs) Um, It's yeah, it's a it's a fun track. Mm -hmm. Good one for the morning commute, I would say, if anyone's (laughs) listening to this in the car. So anyways, this is Ruddy Road from Paper Mario Color Splash.
probably the last of the Wii U greats, unfortunately. Mm. Well, if Zelda comes out on the Wii yeah. U, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they still bother, they might not. You know. <laughs> All right, we have another request from the forum playing these back-to-back. Uh, this comes from Mike Letty 83 who says, I'm back with another earworm this time from the multi-talented Daisuke Ishiwatari with arrangement from Yoshihiro Kusano. The biggest problem with the Blaze Blue series is the huge choice of songs to select a favorite from. There is literally a new favorite for each week of the year. Bang's theme drops relentless guitar hooks on your head. Uh, Lichy Fei Ling's theme serenades you whilst taking some lines from the best of advanced wars before knocking you about the place with what i could probably only describe as thrash jazz oh interesting (laughs) the rival battle exclusive tracks take the whole thing to a new level making it a crime they were made only for a few opportunities in the game but the one track that pulls me back and gives me a more straightforward simple vibe but with a somehow capable mix of genres that's most likely against any rule book conceived is this the road to hope is a song that I've had stuck in my head when I think about almost any game I've enjoyed recently and earlier today, I found the simplest expression to describe it. Fun. Absolutely, this song is a a big, bold, anthemic guitar piece. It reminds me of like the theme to Top Gun more than anything, <laughs> just kind of like relentlessly positive and hopeful and yeah. um, big. And have you ever seen the uh, the theme to Top Gun music video? No. It's just this guy in his, you know, big, like, uh, hair metal hair and uh, standing with his guitar and his, mm. his leather shirt open in the middle of this airplane <laughs> hanger, just playing this loud and proud like you would imagine it being. And it's, uh, it's just so glorious in, like, how how much he knows that the song kicks ass. <laughs> it's like, it's a good song. But, uh, yeah, so this is kind of what the, the feeling that this gives me as well. <laughs> yeah, Um yeah, I mean, uh, I know the composer, uh, Daisuke. I know him mainly from... Oh, really? uh, no, no, I was going to say I know him from the oh. Guilty Gear games. No, 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 him personally. Oh, you don't, you um, don't know him? No, okay. no. <laughs> uh, no, I know him from the, the Guilty Gear series because that's, uh-huh. I mean, basically, like, soundtrack-wise, pretty much identical. Just, again, just constant, like, guitar anthems. Like, every song on it is wicked. <laughs> hmm. Just, like, you know, not just... Not just appropriate or oh, this is cool because it reminds me of the game. Like they're just mm-hmm. they're just really memorable and enjoyable tunes. Like some of them are quite sort of you know some of it's quite harsh, whereas some of it's really sort of quite mm-hmm. uplifting and positive. Um, but yeah, really good. Well, the Guilty Gear series, especially kind of the general aesthetic of that game, is built around music in a way. Mm-hmm. A lot of the characters are musicians themselves, yeah, yeah. or yeah. So um, I'm not. As familiar with Blaze Blue, I have a couple of the titles on the like the Vita and stuff like that, but I've not spent a ton of time with it. Although, from what I understand um, from covering some like local fighting game tournaments here, is that uh, Seattle has a, a pretty strong Blaze Blue circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of one of the things that we, as a region of the United States, are famous for for being uh, uh, fans of the anime fighter. Or mm-hmm. uh, what do they call it? The Air Dash Fighter, I believe, is their term for it. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I love watching these uh, sprite-based fighting games just because of the amount of, of detail that goes into the animations. And, you know, I never get bored watching something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, I've not spent enough time with it to, uh, to get good. This song is a treat, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear more from it. Might go and check some of that out. So this is The Road to Hope. 
from Blaze Blue Calamity Trigger. a bit of a 180 here. I have a nice kind of relaxing, cool track to uh, wind you down after a big expressive song like that last one. This is a song by Grant Kirkhope, who of course is one of my favorite composers, featured him many, many times on Sound of Play in the past. But it's one that uh, doesn't contain Grant Kirkhope's kind of signature N64 sound to it. 
Uh, this comes from Viva Pinata, Trouble in Paradise, which we have talked about in Canaan Rinse 143. If you want some more um, background on that particular game, and it's a prequel. Oh, we might even talk a little bit about the DS game. I don't remember now. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, this is called Winter Shines by Grant Kirkhope. And I believe this would have been one of the tracks that plays in uh, Trouble in Paradise's new like Arctic areas. They introduce mm. a little desert garden and a snowy garden, that one. And so I'd imagine this is, uh, this is a song that plays there, but I, I honestly don't know that for sure. You can get a sense of Kirk Hope's kind of signature compositional style, even though this sounds so different than the Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64 tracks that we probably know him from mm-hmm. in the past. There's little, you know, notes and riffs and sequences that evoke memories of, of those older games, while this one does take a more long-winded, less melodically driven, more kind of a, just a kind of a nice, soothing orchestra piece. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to describe that one, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's pleasant and it feels it feels big, it feels grand, but it also feels um, kind of non intrusive, like it was meant to mm. just kind of loop in the background and and underlie these really pleasant, relaxing interactions we have with these pinatas. Yeah, I think he did really well to you know doing the soundtrack for Viva Pinata and Trouble in Paradise mm-hmm. to. Like I spent a lot of time on that game, and like mm-hmm. I, it's just amazing that the soundtrack never gets repetitive. Like, um, yeah. like I've, I must have heard the same bit so many times. But he's obviously really been careful in that. Like you say, it is sort of all quite laid back. There aren't any sort of major hooks or anything. Which, of course, if there were, that would get really irritating over the course <laughs> of forty or fifty hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they do sort of perfectly hang in the background, but they are like they are still quite intricate. They're just not very mm-hmm. in your face about it. Um, and I think, like you say, it's, although it's very different to the you know banjo kazooie stuff or whatever, it's still very evocative. Like I I mm-hmm. remember playing the game, but I you know hearing the soundtrack, I remember like I feel like I remember being there. You know, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, a weird yeah. thing to describe. Like um, really, sort of takes me back to the experience of of playing it for the first time and like so I remember I played tons of Viva Piñata when I first moved out um for moved out from my parents and went to university and I had no internet connection for a week and I just did nothing but play Viva Piñata and, <laughs> and had a great time um and yeah and it, it puts me back in that room like hearing the soundtrack again it feels like a game that I, I think personally would have been better served um, a few years later after we've had kind of the rise of more, uh, I don't want to say casual, but um, <laughs> more kind of idle type games like yeah, um, your, you your Farmvilles and stuff like that. Yeah. And usually, you know, any comp- or any comparison to Farmville is not terribly flattering for a game, but like for everything <laughs> that it did wrong, like it did kind of introduce a different like pace and a uh, different way of engaging with the game that I think the Viva Pinata series would have been really well served by. And if anything I could complain about the game, it's that I don't feel like it for what it wanted to impart, the experience that it wanted to give players, I don't think that it was best served as being like a big flashy console title. Mm-hmm. Like I would love for something like this to be something I can check in with on my phone every half hour or so. But you know, if they made one now, they'd ruin it with microtransactions and notifications. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Um, and and so you know, I don't dislike the Viva Pinata games. Like I, I think that they are really wonderful, even though 
it might not be the most elegant way to present that type of game. I think that it's mm. really, um, that they are really special and yeah. uh, that I'm really happy that they exist the way that they are because they're mm-hmm. such like a weird thing that hasn't really existed much before and probably now that um that this type of game has gone in a different direction won't have an opportunity to exist as they are in the future mm-hmm. and so it's uh definitely worth kind of looking back on let's uh listen to some winter shines from viva pinata trouble in paradise I do like that Viva Pinata music that is available on the Xbox One through the Rare Replay collection. If any of you don't want to dust off your Xbox 360s to go back and feed some pinatas to other pinatas. <laughs> Had a bit of a strange kind of cannibalistic element to it, didn't I guess that's just there animals, re- though. Yeah, <laughs> there, there were some really grim elements to that game, like... Yeah, you really had to come to terms with the fact that like stuff was going to die in your garden, and there wasn't really anything you could do about it. Like, (laughs) yeah, and there was a certain element of population caps, and so you had to actively kill some of your pinatas to let better pinatas in. It's like the gentrification (laughs) of the pinata world. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We have one track left, but before we listen to that, remember you can venture over to our forum at canonrince.com slash forum, or get in contact with us on Twitter at canonrince, or, uh, you know, just uh, hit us up on email or Facebook or just wherever you can hunt us down. You can request tracks anywhere, and we will add them to our 
a long list, I believe it's about 70 strong at this point, of request tracks to be played on each normal episode going forward. Uh, next week, we have another very special show, uh, like we've done with, uh, with every 10th episode, ever since um, episode 50, I believe it was. Uh, we've done the uh, Legend of Zelda special, the Donkey Kong Country special, and these are just two-hour specials where we go through the entire series of games and highlight some of the music and kind of compose a um, kind of a musical narrative that runs throughout the entire series. And it's a really fun uh, celebration of those particular series and a really great way to both be reacquainted with older music from uh, from a lot of these beloved games and also be exposed to some newer tunes from the series that you might not ever uh, never had heard before. And so continuing that, uh, next week in Sound of Play 70, we have Joshua Garrity and Leah Haydu hosting a Persona music special. That's another two hours full of music from the various Persona games, not only the RPGs, but also the fighting games and the dancing games. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in the Persona series, especially within the last few years. It's really kind of ballooned out in an interesting way. So <laughs> uh, get, get ready to hear lots of Persona music from a couple of our resident Persona fanboys. Well, fanboy, fangirl. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can uh, subscribe to Sound Play and Canon Rinse if you've not already on iTunes. We do always appreciate ratings. Um, we have a Patreon. If you search for Canon Rinse over on Patreon, nothing is locked behind paywalls, but it's a, a good way of, um, of supporting the show, of helping us get uh, better software, better hardware from time to time to help the podcast sound better. Everything that we make there goes back into the podcast. It's not lining our own pockets necessarily. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, anyways, always greatly appreciated. Um, I would like to thank Sean Bell for joining me today. Oh, thanks very much. No, it's always a pleasure. And is there anything that uh, that you would like to draw the listeners' attention to? I'm sure that if they're fans of ours, they probably already listen to your Midnight Resistance and um, and Computer Game Show. But uh, yeah. would you like mm -hmm. to kind of give a brief little rundown of your other podcast work and anything else you'd like to draw attention to? Uh, no, it's pretty much just those two. Um, mm. I keep threatening to do a podcast about food, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it requires like, actually buying equipment and traveling and stuff. And I just, it <laughs> uh, never, never seems to happen. Um, yeah, so uh, basically I am on two podcasts where I sit around with other people and talk about what games we've been playing that week. And then... Uh, answer questions lord knows why they're two separate shows <laughs> but, and they are um, more but, interesting yeah. than you make it sound so <laughs> like definitely recommended <laughs> thank you very much but uh, yeah uh, midnightresistance.co.uk mm -hmm. and uh, the computer game show um, is hosted on spong.com and then I forget the exact URL from there, but you can yeah click on podcasts and you'll find it there. Yeah, and they have a little bit of a different uh, different tone and spirit to the two of them. <laughs> so yeah, which is, uh, which is why I mean, it, on the one hand, it's nice mm -hmm. that you know the computer game show. I, I don't have to edit it. Like it's mm -hmm. it's nice to turn up and someone else is in charge, and you just you know you're just reacting to things that are happening rather than having to sort of dictate what's happening. But uh, yeah, no, it is interesting, and like you know, I wouldn't do both if I didn't think they were you know each worthwhile for their own reasons so yeah. yeah yeah so anyways go and check those out we have one more track and again i said earlier in the show that uh this takes us back into the katamari damasi extended universe in a way uh so <laughs> do you want to uh, introduce us to this last one here so this is uh nobby nobby hammer dulcimer um <laughs> this is from nobby nobby boy um uh -huh. 
This is it always amuses me. Like every song on the Nobby Nobby Boys soundtrack is just Nobby Nobby and then name of instrument. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this this song, I mean, there's about there's there's tons of people who worked on this soundtrack. I assume it was just uh, Takahashi just sort of getting in people he liked and just mm-hmm. getting them to record a thing, and then that was that. So, but this um, this is by someone who goes by the name Ichi Zero Bass. Um, who I like? I can't really find much about him. The best I could do is basically uh, there's a couple of videos of him on YouTube mm-hmm. um, of him just doing live performances on a hammered dulcimer. Um, yeah, Ichi Zero Bass is really a name that puts you in the mind of a hammered dulcimer. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. A- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's really good. Like he everything he mm-hmm. um, plays is just like just really. Um, pleasant whereas this is kind of like it is still pleasant but among um, you know in, in like within the Nobby Nobby Boy soundtrack it's it's really interesting because there's a couple of songs in there even though it's this really stupid silly game that's just you know it's barely a game it's practically mm-hmm. just a toy where you go around eating people and then pooing them out and laughing some of the songs are really like quite sort of not sad but just a little bit plaintive a little bit mm. you know um, and they, and this is one of them like it's sort of it really sits at odds with with a lot of the you know the, well the tone of the game in general and the the rest of the soundtrack. Yeah. It's certainly not silly like a lot of the Katamari no. music. Maybe. It's like <laughs> that one. Um, Katamari music is always very overcomposed in a way, like in a good yeah. way. Um, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. fits like the chaos of that game. Yeah. And this this game certainly has a slower pace to it, but I yeah. wouldn't say that it has any less chaos. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the music does tend to um, gravitate towards more. Uh, more kind of relaxing background, yeah. um, almost like coffee shop music in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which kind of fits um, with the, uh, this game's less objective base. It's more kind of like yeah. an interactive screensaver in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this this song is quite long and it does sort of, mm. it loops a bit, um, which is, you know, it's a good one to stick on the end. So if people mm. want to wander off, uh, that's fine. Um but yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I, I have this just playing on, on a loop when I'm working and stuff sometimes. Mm. It's just, yeah, I, I love it. It's just, it's you know, it's it's unusual, you know, in, in the, the soundtrack that it sits in. I don't know, there's just something unbelievably calm about it. Like, because <laughs> um, this actually, I remember, I, I just remembered I was first introduced to this. There was, um, I forget what they called it, but One Up used to do a similar show to this where it was just... Um, just playing bits from soundtracks and it came on that and I think I was like I was in the bath and like and I fell asleep in the bath listening to it but like in a nice way not like because I was bored it was just yeah just like uh-huh. to- like put me to sleep yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. and yeah and you just I don't know I always find it has this really sort of calming effect on me it's weird yeah we featured one track from Nobi Nobi Boy before I believe if I remember yes. correctly I remember that Leon featured uh, a track called Manual Metrocross, which is yeah. Nobi Nobi Boy's silly, like high pitched voice singing his name over and over over the uh, Metrocross yeah. song that um, <laughs> I guess arcade uh, fans will be familiar with, um, which is a really fun, weird track. And every time that that track comes on, uh, because it's in the new the new Smash Brothers, every time it comes on, I can't help but hear oh, the uh, <laughs> Nobi Nobi Boy singing over it. Um, but uh, have you ever? Had the chance to play or see a hammered dulcimer being played in real life? Uh, not in real life, no. Um, like I say, I've seen plenty of videos, but yeah, it's it's a strange instrument. Yeah, my uh, my mom picked one up at one point because uh, she, she was interested in learning. I'm not sure if she actually uh, really got got all that into it, but it's an interesting <laughs> instrument. Just to describe for the listener what it is, 
it has a very similar sound to a harpsichord because it's essentially doing the exact same thing that a harpsichord yeah. is doing. It's kind of like a harp that's uh, that's lying down, but instead of plucking the strings, you hit them with little mallets, little, little wooden mallets, hence the name the hammered dulcimer. And mm-hmm. um, it gives a real kind of pleasant, just kind of harpsichord-like sound to it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because mm-hmm. just to me, it, it sounds plucked. <laughs> like I know it isn't. I don't know, there's something about the, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think you have, um, I think depending on where on the string you strike it, uh, you mm-hmm. can get neither like a really kind of like a legato sound to it or or a more kind of like quick pizzicato little little okay. hit to it. Uh, mm. Probably just depending on like how close to the bridge the uh, the piece sits. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pleasant instrument. Uh, I think it's mostly associated with... Yeah, just like folk music basically. Yeah, yeah it's sort of a, because um, I think it's, is is an English in- instrument, isn't it? I, yeah, I originally yeah. thought it was sort of mainly associated with sort of Irish folk music, but no, apparently it is hmm. predominantly English. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're not easy to find here, never mind in Japan. Hmm. So how, how Ichizuro based like came to decide that this was his instrument, I've no idea. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this is um, a hammered dulcimer master, Ichizuro bass, playing Nobi Nobi hammered dulcimer from Nobi Nobi Boy, and we will see you next week for our Grand Persona special.